This episode of the Brap Talk Motorcycle Podcast is brought to you by Pirelli and the new Diablo Rosso 4 Sport Bike Tire. Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is the man who trims my garden, Mr. Shaheen Ovandi! Is that a euphemism? I mean, I was literally trimming your garden earlier. They'll they'll never know. They'll never know. They'll never know. Standing around here with a pair of scissors, because you can't really lift your arm above your, well, your elbow above your shoulder yet. I can't lift my, yeah, for the next... Three right. weeks. Why am I trimming your goddamn bushes? God damn it, I got juped. Because Coulda Kitty, Kitty can't do it. There I was, minding my own business, and I was handed a pair of shears and told, here, you deal with this. Well, I asked your gardening advice, and you, you came up with a good solution to, to this plant that I've had for 30 years that I've now successfully almost killed. And then I was just like, I was just like, run with it. He's been in like the same pot for like literally the whole 30 years, and I don't know why all of a sudden it's not. I really hope next time yeah. I come here that thing's alive, because... Me too. I think my idea is a good one. The only reason I know that idea is because what's what Ann does. I don't fucking know how to garden. Team Ann, on the other hand, green thumb. Green thumb. Green glasses over green here. Green glasses over here. Green thumb with Ann. Team Ann, theme, That's green right. thumb. Team, team Ann, hashtag green thumb. Uh, you're walking on two legs. You're, you're am, recovered am, from your injuries. I'm mostly recovered. I'm like 90%. I have uh, three weeks at a minimum more in the sling. Ugh. But like you, for a good cause, I'm going to get on a motorcycle uh, in two days. Yours is a very good cause. You get I don't to know ride, about that. I mean, you get to ride a new motorcycle to tell us about it, man. It's a good cause in my world. I am looking forward to So I'll be out in Denver riding the BMW R18B and the R18 Transcontinental. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the bagger and dresser versions of BMW's air-cooled boxer cruiser dealerama thing. thing. So it'll be cool. It'll be interesting to see what that's all about. Um... I think your readers are going to want to know, does it do burnouts? Can you back it into a corner? Wheelies. Does it wheelie? How good the slipper clutch is. And can you blare Taylor Swift on the stereo? Well, I'm only going to play Taylor Swift. That's really That just comes naturally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I spent a lot of time looking at the photos and the riding position and be like, okay, because I literally am not allowed to raise my <laughs> elbow above my chest. <laughs> so it's like, uh, can I do that? Can my arm fit there? It'll be interesting. I think here's what we're going to do. Before I, I leave tonight, we're going to... Move some bikes in the garage so that the other bike that I don't want to name that's downstairs that I think that they forgot about they forgotten about. But the, it's the, a very the similar bike that time forgot. Yeah, it's very similar <laughs> to where you're going to go riding, you know, in seating position anyway, to make yeah. sure you can comfortably be in that position. Yeah, yeah. I hate for you to get to Denver and be like, "Fuck." Yeah, I might have to tag you in. <laughs> what are you okay. doing the next three days? <laughs> I'm fucking house stuff. <laughs> we'll send Andy. We'll send Andy to Reno. <laughs> Oh man, that, then we'll find out if it can wheelie burn out or back it in for sure. Hey, it's a weekly podcast, <laughs> all right? Congratulations on your free installment this right. week. Skeletor is love, goddamn it. Skeletor is love. Yeah, I can go ride the R18. Looking forward to that. I'm too. There was something else. Is there another bike I'm riding soon? I don't know. I can't keep track. This hit so many bikes. Maybe, maybe racing in September. I don't know about that September race time. Yeah, what are your thoughts there? Uh, I see the doctor the Thursday before the weekend that I'm supposed to race, which is 
was last week in September, whatever that is. That's that's the so the only reason I know these dates is because I'm closing on the 22nd. Anne's birthday is on the 24th, which is a Friday. So I'm assuming that weekend is the race weekend, like the 25th, 26th. Yeah, 25th, 26th. I yeah. see the doctor the 23rd. Ooh, buddy. And they were like, yeah, we definitely want you in a sling this four to six weeks. This is some bullshit way of like trying to not help me move. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to be able to lift shit. <clears throat> you got any pillows that need moving? I, I got all your pillows. <laughs> one, best, one at a time, too. <laughs> the best part is that Anne forgot we have to pack because we agreed we we're going to hire a moving company. And she was like, oh, fuck, we still got to pack? Like, that's how it works. You, you have to actually do the thing where you throw shit in the box and then they carry it. That's the hardest part. I know. She was like, so the carrying, it, carrying it out to the truck is easy. Yeah. Especially if you have a little hand. Oh, you guys have stairs. Yeah. Our house sucks. Yeah, There's 12 that. steps to the house and then another 12 steps to the <laughs> I like they counted them. <laughs> I, you know why? Because I moved there and I counted every step every time I went up and down. <laughs> Speaking of counting every stair on the way down, Triumph Tiger Sports 660 drop today. Burr, burr, burr. Teaser so drop this today. Is, this is this is making me think of like the bikes we talked about. I think in the last episode where we well no I feel like all we talk about is middleweight category it adventure is. bikes. That's, now. We've ever That's talked our about podcast. Anyway. But this, welcome to the middleweight adventure bike <laughs> podcast. I feel like I'm looking at a a Versi 650. Yeah, with a Triumph badge on it. Yeah, it's a it's so. This is, you are right. And you're right for a very good reason. So it was like November last year. Mm -hmm. It came out that Triumph was using this, what they're calling their 660 motor, which is really just kind of a repurposed 675. Right. Uh, as a platform for some budget focused bikes. So obviously the Trident 660 came out earlier this mm -hmm. year. That's like a budget <clears throat> version of basically what a street triple is. Uh, retails came out at MRSRP just under eight, but now it's retailing for 8,200, which I think is interesting. But this is built off that same platform. And they said at that time they were going to come out with two adventure bikes. They were going to come out with an adventure sport and a proper dual sport. Oh, so oh, this is the adventure sport model that so we're seeing. Be like a 19 inch wheel version, I guess. 19 or 21. I'd be impressed with that. Yeah. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. Versus 650. Yeah. Um, Yamaha, like FJ, we don't get the FJ09, FJ07. Do we get that? I, I think I just made a bike up in my head, but there's in that frame, right? Man, what did I just make in my head? This is reminding you of you uh, of so, a Multistrada 620. Really, this is, let's just really go this back. Is what happens when you stop going to <laughs> Yamaha press launches? <laughs> Sorry, if you don't know what bikes we make, you don't get to come here. I don't, I don't know what. What do you guys? Do you guys still make bikes? What do you do here? Well, they because they, they make some of these. Especially with the uh, the 700 twin and the 900 triple, there's right. some bikes in Europe that aren't coming to the U.S. in that lineup. So I get a little, a little, a little muffled. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows anymore? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> ba -ba 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 -ba. I, I, I mean, it's a sport tour. It's like calling it an adventure bike is kind of maybe the next. I think the adventure version, the, the yeah. more. The bigger wheel version will be an adventure yeah. bike. But this is this is like a phenomenal commuting bike. Probably get great gas mileage. It's gonna cost nothing. It's gonna I mean, it's gonna be probably under ten grand. Probably and it really likely could be under nine grand. That like, would be amazing. With like eighty nine ninety nine this thing. Yeah, even if it just had like basic, it's got show of suspension. Whatever. Uh even if it just had basic electronics like throttle maps and maybe like a rudimentary three or four level traction control, I'd still get excited at that price point. 
totally. And then if you told me that their like dual sport model was going to be the same, but with longer travel, excuse me, longer travel suspension and have those features and be nine grand. Maybe make it a little bit lighter. Try to compete with the Tenere 700 and that upcoming Touareg. I think, yeah, I think, I think it'd be more of a Touareg competitor than say a, a T7 competitor, just because I see the T7 being more off-roady, off-roady. Yeah. But it's in that realm, which is a really interesting realm to be in. That, that realm is the quickest growing realm right now. Everyone's everyone's trying to get a piece of that pie. Uh, Triumph is... I've been kind of impressed with Triumph the last uh, six months or so. The Trident's a really strong motorcycle offering. I think they saw that like people were complaining about the prices right. of new motorcycles, and they're like, hold my beer. And and so far they've they've come out swinging. Like I obviously haven't ridden I haven't ridden the Trident yet, and I haven't ridden this. But on paper, it sounds. I mean, what is it? It's like eighty horsepower. That's great. Eighty horsepower, forty-seven pound feet of torque. So it's not crazy, but yeah, but it'll it'll, it'll it'll still hustle and get, get, you get, you, get you going. The price tag's killer, and it's not super shitty components. I mean, it's not great, but it's not like not zero level. Yeah. That's the shoot for the money. <laughs> like that, that's where you went. <laughs> um, and then you could roll that right into I don't know if we talked about this two shows ago or last show. I can't even remember anymore. The Triumph Speed Triple RR. Mm. This half fairing mm. thing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Tasty. You like that? Mm-hmm. Especially I think it'll be a, I think it'll be the same motor as the RS. It'll be like 180 horse. Fine. But way into it. Kind of cool. It's got I, that, that that bike makes my mouth water. It's got that retro mm-hmm. single headlight modern thing Ooh, guess going what on. I saw in person. Speaking of retro, I finally got to see a uh, MV Augusta uh, Super Veloce in person. Looks good, doesn't it? Dear God, that may be the most beautiful two wheel thing I've ever seen. It's really pretty. Fuck. The seat must be made out of rock. It's the most uncomfortable. Yeah. What is it with MV Augusta not making a comfortable seat? Like um, they're like, it's beautiful. Get over it. <laughs> well, if you have to know, uh, Adrian Morton's an ass man. <laughs> you got a booty if you're going to ride this thing. You can't have a, you got to put some meat in your junk. You can't, those Italian girls, man. <laughs> Crikey. That, that is such an obnoxiously pretty bike in person. Yeah, it looks good. Like, I really fucking good. want one. That is, I've never lusted after a bike this hard. I'm kind of surprised they haven't, I mean, they don't really have, uh, they're really interesting with their platforms right now. So they, obviously they have the 800 triple. They've kind of gotten rid of the 675 triple. Right. There's a 950 triple that's coming in. Hmm. And I can't remember if there's a 12. There's definitely smaller displacements. There's like a 500 and I want to say like a 350. I'm going off memory and not my notes. But like I really want like a 1000 or 1200 cc Super Veloce thing. Just, just like 200 tr- plus horsepower Super Veloce. Yeah, like make that. Oof. Oof. That was supposed to be a thing at, uh, a few years ago. That was back when Castiglione was still part of the brand. And that, I, don't, I think that idea went out the window. The but that, that kind of idea needs a little crazy at the helm. It's a little crazy. But a bike like that just needs just a little bit more shenanigans. Those guys will make it and then cost $80,000, make only 100 of them, and they'll sell out in five minutes. That's the Envy Augusta way. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Nope. I'm into it. Anyways, I, hands down prettiest bike i've ever seen it's just gorgeous except for the turn signals like you could tell nobody in the design part had i had turn signals or like a license plate bracket in mind i'm like fuck we gotta put that on there stupid they just stick out they stick out of the fairings like a 2005 gixxer (laughs) 
I think they know that you're going to like get rid of those. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, I can't believe they didn't do like a bar mount or mirror mount or some shit like that. I'm trying to one handed type here to bring it up. I feel <laughs> like it's different in Europe than in the US. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know. I can get over. Yeah. Yeah. See this photo? No mirrors. No turn signals. Yeah, no Looks license plate. Mm. That's, <laughs> that bike in his raw format is the best way to go. <laughs> it is so stinking pretty. It just, it makes me think of, you know, an MH900E, but like modern and prettier. I've been, funny you bring up the MH900E. I've been quietly making a hit list of motorcycles I want to acquire. This is one of them? The MH900E is one of them. Oh, yeah. Again, I want to have rolling I, think, art. I would like at some point for us to do a show about that, but well, I mean, everybody always wants to know what your dream bike is and what you would, you know, what what you would ride, what you would buy. What would the Jensen Bueller Asphalt and Rubber Money purchase? I haven't ranked them yet, but you you were at you had a Desmo Sedici at the shop the other day. <sighs> I'm very particular on which Desmo I want, like what exhaust and what yeah uh, decals and paints. This game. one is insanely clean. Yeah, I want I want a rider. Like that's the thing. I'm not a collector. I'm a rider. Yeah. I want a little something with some miles. I on believe it. the uh, owner of this bike wants you to ride it. Yeah, we need to have a conversation about okay. this. Okay. If you guys have tracked it, it's in October. We do. So this bike just got mm. the OZ Magnesium 17-inch wheels put on it, so that the oh, 16, cool. 16 and a half can be put in a box and put away. Cool. So you can put actual like modern tires on it. I saw that our friends. This is this is a bike that would be at the top of the list for sure. Our friends at Iconic Motorsports mm-hmm. just got. Uh, I think it's two foggy Patronus FP1s. I hate following them so much. Ah, it hurts my heart every money. Like, I used to the place I used to go and stare at cars every day has always been bring a trailer, and now all I care about is iconic motorsports. Yeah, <laughs> they just bring up stuff. I'm like, I don't need. To, I'm buying a house. I'm buying a house. I don't need this. I'm buying a house. Fuck. They also have. Um, this would be another one high on the list. A Benelli Tornado. Oh yes. Nine hundred. Hundred percent. Uh, the other one on my list is a virus. Yeah. Like oh, 100 grand later. Yeah. And then my number one on my list, number one, is still the Confederate Wraith. Oh, that's not even on my list, but yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I want that. Honestly, even a, like a Hellcat 134, I think is amazing. But the Wraith is, I saw one in person. I was like, this, I need to have this in my possession somehow, some way. I, I had said this several shows ago. I don't know how many shows ago, but somebody wrote to me like, oh, yeah, so-and-so sold one recently. I'm like, fuck, why did I know this? <laughs> I want that bike. I got to update the list, Joe. That's on my list. That is that is number one on my list. If I could somehow, some way, afford to or find one even that's affordable to to get one, I would just adore that bike till the day I died. Who's Kvarna Nuda 900R? Ooh. That's a weird one. Wow. That's one on there. Man, you're nerding out. Didn't come to the US. No. And then I have like Ducati Supermono. Good luck, asshole. Yeah, good luck, asshole. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get you a Super Veloce while we're at it. All right, I'm going to name a bike, and it's going to blow your mind that's on my list. Okay. It's actually the second bike I wrote down. Not that I, that's how I would rank it, but it's the second one that came to my mind. Okay. Eric Bueller Racing 1190 RS Carbon Edition. You probably can find one of those for that, that oh, much Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's they're probably like, I think I've seen them on eBay for 20 grand, yeah. 25. I mean, they retailed for like 40 or 50 when they came out. What? It's just, it's a seminal. I'm sorry, this is bad for a podcast, but I just threw a fit. <laughs> Nobody saw it. It's, it's as much as I think that bike is 
stupid and bananas and Eric's a crazy human and that company <laughs> was doomed for failure from the beginning and all the riffraff that has come with with those thoughts and asphalt right. and rubber and Buell and all that jazz. It is a bike that is seminal in motorcycling history mm-hmm. and there's some things about it that are very beautiful and very interesting and it's very, very, very rare and you can get them for fairly cheap and I think I think I, would, I think 20 years from now people can be like that was a that's an important chapter in American motorcycling. Yeah. I think so too. That's a bike I, I'm I'm sh- I'm glad I'm wearing my brown pants cuz I'm going to shit him in a minute here. <laughs> I can't believe you're saying this. The thing is I agree with you and I don't often say this loudly but I think those 1190s, I rode both the naked and the full version because we sold them at the Harley dealership. Mm-hmm. I think to this day, they were one of the most raw twin bikes I'd ever ridden. Like they just, they, they, they felt good to ride. They were fun to ride. They were weird. They were awkward. Like the, the it did wheelies at weird times. The brakes were shit. I just fucking hate those brakes so much. There was something about it when I rode it. I'm like, uh, you know, if you ride this thing well within its limits, it's pretty good. It'll never be a street fighter. It'll never be any of that shit. But there was something about its weirdness. It was like a Dodge Viper to me. It just didn't, like, why the fuck did you make this? But I enjoyed riding it every time I rode it. Raw is the perfect word to describe that bike. Yeah. Because it's, it does have a lot of power. It does have a lot of torque. It's a, it's a 1200cc V-twin engine. Angry. So angry. But it's also, <laughs> like, so it's raw in that sense of it. But it's also raw in the sense of, like, it's an uncut diamond. Right. It's it's not polished. It it's is not, not perfect. perfect. Any it's full of flaws. Right. It'll get you sick if you eat it. <laughs> um, Why are you eating diamonds? Stop eating diamonds. That's I, weird. I remember when I got on one, and the first thing I have to do is, like, click on the screen that I agree to the legal <laughs> yeah. ramifications of traction control. <laughs> I remember that. And, like, the fit and finish is garbage. The brakes are garbage, like he said. But, like, I love the chain <laughs> tensioner on it, and it whistles when you, like, slow down. It, like, catches the chain, and it makes a weird supercharger noise. Like, why is this designed like this? There's, I like it a lot. There's so many things about it that are just bad. Like, it's it's funny because just, um, I think today, the people that bought Buell and have consolidated the EBR Buellness all into one brand, uh, they just came out with the Hammerhead. I saw I saw an ad for it on my Facebook for right, whatever Which reason. is basically an 1190 uh, RS. Or, sorry, RX. Oh, yeah, it's a different paint job. <clears throat> and you're like, Cool. Congratulations on your decade-old bike that even when it came out was about a decade behind the time. So good good luck to those guys, right? I'm not even going to get into it. There is something about the Buell story that's very American with its roses and its warts. Yep. And I think my biggest issue with Buell, Buellistas as I like to call them, (laughs) because they're like, they're like Ducatistas. That's right. They're hardcore about this. It's like they only see the roses. And I think the, the, the thing that like, ultimately killed Buell was that the people behind it only saw the roses and not the warts. The best bike ever made, man. Get get with it. Get with and, the program. And the warts were pretty big. And yeah, like yeah. like we talked before, like, you know, the hardest thing is like it's got Buell on the side of the tank. So guess who's gonna be right no matter what? Uh-huh. Um but it's an interesting story. And that's an interesting bike. And it came out and it's dripping in carbon fiber. It's dripping in cool oh, yeah. parts. Oh, yeah. And like high end parts. Like there's some cool stuff. Like, and would I would I sit there and be like, "This is I own this because this is the best." You're like, "No, absolutely. This is like a it's like a cautionary tale on how cool not to story. make a superbike." But yeah. it's an interesting story. And for as much as like I think Eric and I don't get along, the the perseverance and the willingness to try it, like you have to applaud that. And that's yeah. and to me, that's the most American thing about Buell. Not this like made in America, American sport bike, American muscle, dude. No. It's like no, this is. This is like the idea that like 
I get I get a little emotional about it because this is like this is what Americana means to me or or what patriotism means to me. It's the idea that like you're gonna you're gonna try your luck. You're gonna try your fortune. American is a country where you're able to 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 give things a start. You're willing to give things a try. You can you can start this dream and try to achieve it. And that's the and that's the American dream if you do it. You know, you come here for opportunity. This is the land of opportunity. This is your opportunity. You know, Eric Buell tried to make the opportunity of his own motorcycle company, yeah. his own motorcycle dream. And he was wrong and he failed, but that's life. But you he, know, he sure like, as you fuck tried. Yeah, don't. I'm not gonna fault anyone for failing. I fault someone for not trying. And he fucking tried. He tried a lot. <laughs> you know what's one of the bikes that would be on my list? Is it still? It is a Buell. It's like the old school S1 Lightning, the white with the purple frame on it. That's gross. So gross, but I love it so much. It was like, I remember at the time being like, this is a really wildly weird fucking bike. Why? Who the fuck's idea was it to put essentially a fucking Harley Sportster motor in this tiny little frame? And I've ridden a couple of them and they're gnarly. They just, they should not. It's like a bumblebee. It just shouldn't fly. Gross. It's so gross. And I love it so much. The only Buell I'll kind of be like, eh, that's kind of okay bike. It's like a Ulysses. What? That's gross. That's the only one I'll be like, eh, for what it was, for what it's supposed to be. And the Ulysses is the kind of bike that everyone that owns it is like, it's the best bike ever made, bro. Like, stop it. Well, that's every Buell. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think like what the car equivalent is to like a Buell. Fucking Aztec. (laughs) That's mean. Designed by committee that just didn't want to be wrong. (laughs) That's mean. A DeLorean? I don't know. I like it though. I always love the weird, crazy underdog that keeps trying no matter what the fuck's going on. And, uh, I'm with you. I think your sentiment behind wanting that 1190 is on point. I agree with it. And I kind of want to go half season one with you now. <laughs> like just how to show up to a track going on that thing. On? <laughs> just to go tr- like uh, to a track day on this thing and people being like, what in the fuck? Yep. Watch me struggle with this thing. <laughs> yeah, let me let me warp my rotor every session. <laughs> Does it come with extra rotors when you buy it? Yeah, you'd have to buy them by the fucking dozen. You got to. That's so much heat. See, I think so much bullshit heat on one rotor. That's probably the only one, like, out of all the bikes I would want to acquire that I probably wouldn't ride that often because it'd just be like, that's such a headache. You've ridden one on the track, right? Uh, the 1190? Yeah. No, just on the street. Any, any Buell with that bullshit ZTL uh, brake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, it stands up so hard. Every time you do brakes, you're like, oh, Jesus, no, no, no. I'm not trying to stand you up. Like, there is no real mid-corner front brake correction on that bike. You, you better have your shit. Like, if you do it and expect it to react like a regular motorcycle, you're going to stand it up and go off a cliff. I mean, I, I get where Buell's coming. Like, as someone who's, like, worked really hard to make a Kramer work with a single disc, <laughs> I get the 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 longing and the desire to make that happen with with a superbike. Right. But, like, I understand, like, I had to really work to make it work on a 270, 280, 280-pound bike with 85 horsepower. <laughs> like, you just you just doubled the weight, double, double the power. And you're still not even there, like in the in the metrics. I wonder if there's an iron disc, a rotor option for that thing. No, that was, that was ultimately that, that what was you make, ended up doing. Yeah, the iron. I use the iron for the higher coefficient of friction. Um. Yeah, it's just it's it's too much heat. It's too many pads. It's too much heat. It it's moving all the mass to the edge of the the wheel, which is the exact opposite thing you want to do. Yeah, it's it's all the things <laughs> just backwards. <laughs> but fuck it man way to, way to try exactly you tried you tried you know how many motorcycles I've made in my lifetime none yeah, yeah make fucking zero so I'll sit here and be all critical all day long but the fucker did something I've never done how about Valentino Rossi being a daddy soon somebody at the shop said oh well he's gone from a doctor to a farmer because he's planted seeds I'm like 
Okay. That's funny. You know, moto racing has been interesting lately. We've got, a, it's kind of current of crazy times. Have we talked about the Vinales meltdown? I mean, we talked about the to, meltdown. We talked like, about the meltdown. More happened since then. They basically were like, get the fuck out of the team. Yeah. Adios, amigo. Did the GTFO, bro. And then he's off to Aprilia and could be potentially racing with Aprilia in the next round or two. Aprilia is just the right amount of crazy and, and, and complete mishmash of insanity that I see that's kind of working, I guess. Someone's going to be yelling at somebody in that in that team a lot. You know, it's it's so it's so interesting. I started rewatching because um, it's on Netflix the Michael Jordan documentary, oh. The Last Dance. Yeah, ten parter. Uh, if you don't need to be a basketball fan to appreciate this, and and no. the funny thing is, like when I watch it, I don't watch it as like when I was super into going to basketball games. I used to go with my dad. We had tickets for the Warriors during the lean years. OG Warrior fan in the mm-hmm. house. Christopher Mullen, Tim Hardaway years. Dang. I mean, they went to the playoffs, I think, once or twice, but didn't go very far at all. Winning seasons, but not great seasons. But that was this era. Like, I remember, like, Magic Johnson was my favorite basketball player. Michael Jordan era. You know, Kobe wasn't a thing yet. LeBron wasn't a thing yet. You know, this is um, when basketball, the NBA, became, like, not only a national, but worldwide thing. And so it's funny watching this documentary now, not so much as a basketball fan, not so much as a like avid fan during that era, but as a motorcycle racer. Because you you watch how Jordan talks and you watch how he interacts with other people and you start getting a really clear picture of his mindset as mm-hmm. an athlete and his mindset as a champion and some of the people around him and what their mindsets were. And just like take that and like like click copy paste into the browser watching like Vinales watching Valentino Rossi right watching these riders and it's like the men and and understand too we just had the Olympics that had all these like talks about mental health for um who's the gymnast uh Biles what's her first name I'm really bad at athlete names Simone Biles and uh the tennis player the Japanese tennis player I forget her name um you know, basically being like, hey, my head's not in the game. I'm not gonna play, I'm not gonna play Wimbledon. Right. I'm not gonna do the Olympics. My I'm having mental, mental health issues. And like this this documentary talks a lot about Dennis Rahman and his mental health issues oh, yeah. and his demons. And you talk about like the the mental fortitude of Jordan and like you, you can tell like one of the things that really fueled him was someone being like I'm going to outscore you. I'm going to, I'm going to beat you. I, you can't do that thing. You're not the best. And he'd be like, he'd take it to the next level to prove them wrong. That was his whole thing was proving them wrong. Yeah. And finding that extra, that extra gear, that drive, that extremely competitive drive. So take all that and now apply it to Maverick Vinales and maybe even Andre, uh, you Right. And like, like these meltdowns, these meltdowns that we've basically been watching. Like that's what Vinales was, was just a mental meltdown, on live television and you're just like immensely talented rider there's no doubt about that that's why he's in a factory yamaha team mm-hmm. that's why he hopped from the factory suzuki team to go to yamaha because he thought he could win a championship and now it's like yamaha's literally like we literally don't trust you on our motorcycle no, the fuck off our you bike. crazy human <laughs> good luck at it and it really <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see because like it's not like his talent has gotten any less He's not any less talented of a motorcyclist. But if Aprilia can like 
click that mental side of it and get him him in somehow or make it work for them. Just get him backed off the ledge, whatever that is. They could have something there because that's I think that's what's holding back that program is as good as Alicia Spargaro is. We talked about this last show. He's not a championship winning rider. Vinales could be a championship winning rider. What a what a fuck you that'll be to Yama if he goes to Aprilia and actually gets like within championship level or what, even wins the championship. What if those two things are what the other one needed to click right. into that next gear? Right. Because that's like Aprilia just needs a slightly better rider. Maybe gives them a little bit better feedback, a little bit different feedback, and they, the bike takes the next step, the team takes the next step. Vinales gets a little he takes a step back from the ledge, finds his speed again. Doesn't matter how good you are if the team that you're with doesn't jive with you and it pisses you off to the point where you feel like you have to rev an engine up in the pits and get everybody riled up. I mean, that's some, you know, on the surface, not it's just the pits, shit, straightaway right? too. What's that? It wasn't just the pits, it was on the, the straightaways yeah. as well. You know, on the surface, it's childish, right? But there's there's more going on. Anytime I see some kind of a uh, that level of escalation happening between human beings, I always wonder what had happened to get you to that level. Yeah, you know what's going on in the background that other people didn't see, where they just get to see the breakup. They get they just get to see the blow up and the insanity of it. So maybe crossing fingers for him that he gets to go to Aprilia and they speak the right language, literally and uh, and uh, figuratively, that allows him to. You know, like you said, step back from the ledge and do the right thing. And the right thing for someone that competitive is just doing his fucking job. He just wants to do his job, probably. And he needs a team that says, okay, here's all the tools you need to do your thing. At, at the end of the day, you, you've chosen this rider because of his talents and his push and his gumption and his, you know, that egotistical, at least to us, egotistical looking drive. But it's just competitive drive. And he's trying to become the next, you know, best thing. He's trying to be the next greatest of all time or at least get a championship under him so i wonder i wonder how that that'll work out because maybe this is some kind of a blessing in disguise for him maybe maybe your pearly is like fuck yeah let's do this thing yeah it could be interesting i wonder what this does though for because yama is such a big entity if they kick you off of their team what does that do for your eligibility as a <laughs> new bachelor in that grid obviously i mean i mean he already had the contract with aprilia right or, or at least was close to signing. Yeah, I guess it. he was just going to finish his year here. He was supposed to finish his year, and I think after the revving incident, they're just like, <laughs> no, nah. because like for the Japanese too, like abusing the bike, yeah, is a big deal. Well, honor is such a big deal, and this is just lacking any like yeah. far as they're concerned. At least in my view, it looks like he just lacks any and all respect, any and all honor as far as they're concerned. They're like, no, pound sand, dude. We need somebody that'll actually work with our program. I forget that um, Jensen Beeler ride our motorcycles. Yeah, I know, right? Um, I forget what rider it was with Honda, but like they came in, dropped the bike in the garage. Like they just, they just got it. Like they just were being jerks, just dropped it. Yeah. And that was it. That was like, nope, you're gone. Your contract's done. Yeah. No, thank you. Never again. Never um, more. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he really, I mean, he's never going to work for Yamaha, I guess, put it that way. No, no. Um, I, I doubt he would work for another Japanese brand, too. I, th- I mean, I mean, just look at his career. Like, Aprilia is the last stop in the MotoGP paddock. We saw that with Andrea Iannone. Yeah. Uh, we've seen that with a couple of riders where it's just like, this is it. This is, it. This is the last factory team that's going to deal. They're, they're taking the, I was going to say seconds. They're taking thirds off the plate. Like, KTM and... This mm-hmm. is just crumbs at this point. But 
still a, I mean, it's still a, a brand and a manufacturer with a, you know, culture and history behind it. At least that's what they tell you. Culture and history, but, but not the budget. No. That's what I'm saying. Like no. they don't have the money to get a top tier writer. They have Maybe the money this was to a get like a second for them. Writer. Maybe this was a blessing for them to see Yama kick him off and go, listen, you're officially on a short leash with us. And this is how much money we're going to give you to start right now. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting. But boy, oh boy, if you took that anger that Vinales has right now and put him on an Aprilia and just be like, go get him. Honestly, like I, I would send him, I would send him to like a, I'd send him to Bali with like 10 grand and just let him like, buddy, like detox yeah, for a little just, while. Just go, just go drink some fucking fizzy water for a little while. Yeah, exactly. Come back, come back in a couple, <laughs> couple weeks. Oh my a, gosh. Get it, get a tan. Um, but it shows like, I remember when Davizioso started seeing a sports psychologist and people were like kind of shitty about it in the paddock. And now like fast forward almost 10 years later and everyone's like, that's a huge component. And there's still some writers that are like, think that's hooey. Yeah. I mean, we always talk about this being a mental game. So if, <laughs> you know, if you're mentally not there, then uh, you've, you're losing that game, man. Uh, Alvaro Bautista coming back to Ducati Corsa for Superbike. Pretty cool. Taking the place of Scott Redding, who's Super headed cool. to BMW. Which I'm sad about that because I like get Redding. Uh, my understanding Mostly is they like money. yelling his name out with a British accent. Scott Redding! It's just fun to say. Try it. I, come on. I'm not, I don't know. Like It doesn't I, have to come from the chest. It comes from the throat. I don't, no, I can't. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You know what I want to do? Hmm. Tell me if I'm crazy. Okay. I kind of want to wrap up here. Okay. And then record with you Sunday. You're crazy. And throw in... Our our stuff about the R18B and the R18 Transcontinental. I'm way into it. Okay. Let's do that. Let's do that. So future Jensen, let's let's create a let's edit in a, a graceful transition here. Yeah. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna make a little money and take an ad break. That's what we're gonna do. The Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4 is the newest addition to the popular Diablo Rosso family and is specifically designed for sport bike, hyper-naked, and crossover motorcycles. Giving riders a superior level of grip, the Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4 gives precise feedback and control in both wet and dry conditions, raising the benchmark for high-performance sport tires on the road. Available in a wide range of sizes, the Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4 is the culmination of nearly 20 years of testing and R&D in the factory, on the roads, and on the track with World Superbike. Visit your local dealer or online retailer and pick up a set today. Uh, Shaheen, I don't, I don't know how we're segueing this. We, we literally... We're just like, what's up, y'all? Everything everyone just heard was literally recorded a week ago. Yep. And now, now I'm, I'm back from Colorado. Through the magic of Hollywood... We have we have recreate. We can build him stronger. We can make them better, sexier, faster, with blue harder. eyes and blonde hair. The new Jensen Beeler. I'd look good blonde, wouldn't you think? No, I like I like the salt and pepper. No, yeah, it brings out a little je ne sais quoi in you. Yeah, it is. It, it is makes very... me imagine you riding a BMW R18. It is more salt than pepper. That's for sure. Galactic shit. Well, you know, <laughs> I looked in the mirror the other day. I was like, wow, there's a lot of gray. That was just a lot. I'm, I'm catching up to you on my beard. Yeah, you're getting there. Yeah. You are correct. I, I have started to fit the demographic for the R18B and R18 Transcontinental, which from this point forward, just for the sake of this podcast, we're just going to say R18 because I think pretty much everything you can say about 
these bikes, you can say collectively. Whoa, whoa, everything? Of the family. Pretty close. Listen, not all of them have that much luggage space or Fair. wind protection. Fair. Or sound system. Fair. So why don't we just call one the R18, R18B, the other one the R18. T? T fuck it, T, yeah. T's good. T, because it is a mouthful. Yeah. Intergalactic planetary, whatever the fuck it's called. Nice callback. Nice callback. <laughs> what am I doing? I keep going back. I, I'm like 20 years back in all my recalls today. You are. It's been impressive. <laughs> um, we've had sandwiches. We were ready to go. Um, what, what do you want to know about this bike? What are you? What are you jonesing to know? Let's start with that. Well, can two large, hot-blooded Americans fit on there? Like you and I on that bike? Yeah, probably. Not on the bag. Well, yeah, but hold on, because I think you talked about its uh, like weight abilities. It's not that high. Oh, no, no, no. It, it's, it is. You're, you're thinking of Goldwing. I am thinking Goldwing. The Goldwing Gold. was like, nah. well, we fit on it. We're we, fine. I mean, we did it, but it's not rated for it. This is rated, what was it? I think we said 450? Like 50 pounds of luggage, and you could have like two 200 pound people on the bike. Oh, that's so great. It's in the ballpark. I think if you, if it's you and your lady or your lady and you, mm-hmm. not going to pass any judgments on mm-hmm. who's around the bike mm-hmm. and who's the passenger, uh, that should probably work out. If you um, are two dudes, one of you is gonna have to be skinny. Listen, neither one of us is skinny. You I mean, and I would be. We'd be over the GVWR, but but the torque will carry we us. We probably could do it. Would it though? See, this is the thing. Ooh. Now I'm gonna put an asterisk up okay. and say we were in Denver. And for those that don't know, Denver's the Mile High Club. I mean, the Mile High City. Nice. You do lose a bit of horsepower riding a motorcycle at elevation but on these bikes that don't start out with a whole lot of horsepower already where are you at that's what i'm saying so this is a bike that has like 90 horsepower rated which means probably at the wheel it's what's called 75 for at elevation mm. it's like 50 Whoa. so and then understand that the the bagger tips in i think at 877 yep and Yeehaw. the transcontinental tips in at 942 that's a whole lot of and then German. You, and then you bread. put 230 something pounds of Beeler on there. The the German man on the German bike at the at the Colorado elevation. I mean, it's tough. Like, so like you guys aren't really passing any cars. That was the thing. So <laughs> we had a couple instances, you know, you're trying to get through traffic and we're, we're passing and you're having to keep up with with the, the lead rider. And I remember like pinning it in sixth and like the bike just does nothing. Drop a gear down, pin it in fifth. Bike still kind of does nothing. I'm like, really? Am I gonna have to get down to mm, this? Is fourth, like my Tacoma fourth gear on the highway to try and like get around this truck, and it still is like, oh wow, I don't, know. I don't know if I'm gonna make it before the oncoming car gets here. This is gonna be interesting. So some of that's elevation, some of that's the bike. I'm not willing to throw all the shade on BMW on that one. I think you would have had similar issues with a Harley. I think you would have similar issues with a Indian. But just as like this motorcycle, just in the abstract, not enough power, not enough torque. That's, I think, and maybe you're in the same boat as me on this. I think one of my biggest problems with these really big engine kind of lazy cruisers is that they are big lazy cruisers and they they don't put out the kind of performance that their displacement would make you hope for. Correct. I can't even say believe. I just hope for it at this point. And so this is where you and I always talk about how we're probably the wrong demographic for a bike like this because I guess the idea is that you're on a big, lazy kind of lump of a motor that just kind of gets you there. But it's 1,800 fucking cc's, man. It's 1,800 cc's. Uh, yeah. 
it's 1800 cc's of air cooled which you kind of have to, like you look at the torque curve that torque curve is super flat right from like a thousand rpms to three thousand rpms and it's making so like just just spec sheet like just for just for comparison's sake mm-hmm. it's 90 horsepower it's 116 pound feet pound feet of torque and that 116 is there between two and three grand, which is where you're doing a lot of your business. Right. Does it taper off after three or four grand? Yeah, big time. But you don't really need it to be yeah, there. Like how much time are you spending in that buzzy top range? Yeah. And and the power and the torque figures are fairly in line with the bikes you can be comparing against. Like uh, Harley Davidson Street Glide, I feel, is like a really easy comparison to the R18B bagger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually less. It's yeah, in theory, it makes less power. It's like 80 horsepower, and it's 111 foot-pounds of right. torque. It's 50 pounds lighter, but you know, holy shit. I can't believe a Harley's lighter than another bike. Well, that's the thing. So the BMW, just, just to draw some broad strokes is on the lower end of the power figures. It's also on the lower end of the displacement figures for the bikes that they run again. Very marginally. I would say they're in the neighborhood. I don't think BMW got the specs wrong, but they're on the lower end. And then on the weight end, they're on the higher side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the heaviest dresser, I think. No, it's the heaviest bagger. It's the second heaviest dresser. Hmm. What's the highlight? The highlight, there is none. And I say this in my review. The, the problem with this bike is it it doesn't have any superlatives. There's nothing I can point to and say, that was done really well. That's best in class, so best like, in show. I mean, even, even uh, on the surface, just... The best, the best thing that it has going for it is the way it looks. Okay, you know, I think they, I think BMW has done a good job, and and we and I've seen this with the R18 Cruiser that I have in the garage, and when mm-hmm. I go ride it, they've done a good job of getting that heritage vintage look into a modern motorcycle that resonates really well with a certain demographic. What is that heritage? Exactly? Airplanes. The what heritage is, is airplanes. Yeah, what, 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 even then, the airplanes. What were the airplanes doing? I'm going to have to edit that down, obviously. <laughs> but so the, it is an interesting play, but the, the bikes look, they're very handsome machines. Right. Um, the, it's funny. You and I were talking, I think, uh, two or three shows ago. American. It's an American thing. American. I forget what episode that is. 71. Maybe. We were talking about the gauges, uh, the four yes. gauges. Yes. So the mystery grade. So this is kind of funny. Like if you look at a Harley Davidson, it's got four gauges across the top. Correct. And then it's got like its little computer dash BMW carbon copied that. Oh, really? The fourth gauge though, to make that symmetry is what they call a power reserve. And is it that? is the most bullshit gauge you've ever seen where it's literally just like, it's like telling you how much more power the engine could make if you twisted the throttle more. What? So if what you're like Bugatti Veyron trying to tell you you're at a thousand horsepower. Yeah, basically <laughs> like you, 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 if you're at half throttle, it's going to be like you're at 50% power reserve. If you're at full throttle, you're going to be at 0% power reserve. I want to be in that meeting where they're like, okay, Hans, what we got to put here? It's kind of a carryover from Rolls Royce, which is in the brand. Yeah, put a fucking clock there. Make it look cool. That's why I said a clock, a compass, something. You could you could do so much more than this bullshit <laughs> this gauge. This is our that- power reserve. You are currently at 50 horsepower yeah. because you're in Denver. That's true, though. If you are down in Florida, you would be at 80 horsepower. Well, that's the thing. It's not even that accurate. You can be at a stop. And rev the engine and it'll still save power. Like the power reserve will move. You're like, no, 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 no. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. This is just a different variation of a tachometer is what they kind put in there. Kind of. It's weird. Uh, it's supposed to be based off the fuel injectors, well, the fuel injectors, but. Uh, awesome. It's a silly gauge, but it's like, it's just, it's literally just there for symmetry. The TFT dash is gorgeous. It does look really it's good. beautiful. It's bright. It, it The information is well laid out. It's easy to get through. It's just a damn shame that like, it just doesn't work. 
Why? Like connecting mean? to your phone and all that bullshit. Just this is also not an Apple CarPlay thing. Not an Apple CarPlay Why thing. Why are you guys doing this? Uh, even worse, like on a lot of the guys' bikes and mine included, I had to, it would stop after each song. So you'd have to like progress. Uh -huh. Like you'd have to like toggle the switch. Like, nope, play the next song. No, 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 we're done. Nope, nope. Keep, keep playing. Keep playing music until I tell you not to, motherfucker. This is 1992 and the Sony Discman just came out. So similar issues. They Even have their then own. You how to keep progressing. Yeah, they have their own app that uses its TomTom Tom for navigation. You got to connect aye, aye, aye. and like it just doesn't work. But they did something you will like. Okay. They've got that center console little like cubby hole where you right. can put your phone. Yep. They put a fan in there. Fucking smart Germans. L good job. Very smart. Until you realize they didn't leave enough room <laughs> to put your phone in and have it connected to the thing it needs to be connected to to keep it powered, the, the charger going. Maybe they meant for you to have a small iPhone, like you know, a little iPhone S. I mean, I, I got a, I don't no, have no, like no. a, there's big, a smaller one than that. There probably is, but this is like a normal size phone. So there, ha there has to be a special connector that has a right angle. Wow. Thing to get in there. Nope. It should. It could, and they just charge people like $80 for that wire. If you want it to work, you got to pay $80. So you just sit there and you're just like, really? Did you oh, not? They were so close. Did you not put a phone in there? Right there. There was something, they did. They put like a 19 or 2006 Razor. And smaller. On, on my phone too, where they where it holds it to brace it, it's also where the volume thing is. So it was every time the bike kind of like jostled, <laughs> it, the volume went down. So I was constantly fighting that. So there's just a little thing there. You're just like, that's just dumb. Like, did you not? Did you not test this? Did you not figure it out? It's a, that's a very trivial thing to nitpick. But there's a lot of things like that. And that was the thing, same thing I had with the R18. You know, this is why I say like a lot of things you can say about these bikes. You can talk about famili familially, familiarity, as a family. Familiar. Oh, I see familially because it's. All the bikes, I think they knocked it out of the park aesthetically. Right. You know, they nailed it. Uh, where the issues are, it's ground clearance. It's filling the fuel tank. It's the brakes aren't good. It's the dash, like the user interface on the dash isn't very good or looks cheap. Um, it vibrates way too much. My hand was vibrating for like two hours after I got off these bikes. It's just such a BMW thing, I think. It's just like part of the experience of riding a BMW. It's just not the vibes. Though, like it, I feel like it should be the other way around. I feel like it should be really well engineered, really well thought out test riding done, and it went through like nine committees before it went went to us. <laughs> it did, and then like it was the all styling, based on looks. Yeah, and then the styling gets kind of fucked up with Quasimodo stroke face GS stuff going on, and this is like <laughs> the other way around. So I don't I don't understand that to a certain extent. I still think they should do an M division version that has like the water cooled R thirteen hundred GS motor in it. That'd be pretty rad. Have like a hundred and fifty horsepower version. Just like just oh yeah, this one actually goes places. Just ripping and tearing. Yeah, and that would probably be a better bike because like the CVO Harley's got like quote unquote water cooling. I think it cools like a portion of the engine. Yeah, it's like a direct. Well, and there's some, it's not just a CVO. It's um the Milwaukee eight motor is okay. uh uh what do they call that targeted cooling or something like that. It shoots at it, shoots water in specific spots. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> um, some things that are interesting of note, it's got its it's got a I was gonna say a unique chassis. It's got a different chassis. It's got a um It looks longer than the it's definitely standard R eighteen, which is already a long bike. But it's doing that in the rear. So it's it's more beefed up chassis for the for the weight. It's got a smaller rake, huh. but um, so like when you're on a highway, it's very stable when you're doing low speed turning though, it's, it doesn't have as it'll, much. it'll handle a little better because the, the rake is more narrow. Gotcha. Um, so I mean like it's a heavy bike, it's kind of hard to manhandle around, but if you have confidence in your riding ability in the machine, it, it is a very easy bike to maneuver, you know, in close quarters. Like you can make a U-turn on a two lane road. Oh, 
you gotta really crank that fucker over and be Drag confident. That rear brake. Yeah, really be confident in it. Um, but you know, it's it's definitely doable. Price wise? Price wise pricey. Um like Harley pricey? Because I think the Street Glide S is like twenty-four-ish. Well, it gets hard because BMW pricing is a little all over the place. It is true, isn't it? There's, it's very like a la carte. So even with just base model pricing, um, it's it's the most expensive bagger. It's the cheapest dresser. Um, but at the end of the day, like the bikes that we rode were almost $30,000 bikes. Yeehaw. So that's right in there with what you're going to get from Indian and Harley. Um, I think the the bagger... It's only going to get more expensive. It's like a $26,000, $25,000 bike when it's all said and done. What is there? I don't, I wonder if anyone answered this question or if it was asked, but what is their plan of attack to attract people to spend premium dollar money on a bike that already has a competition that's way, way more, you know, successful and popular? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, Cause I mean, you're, you're trying to, you know, I always call these bikes conquest bikes. You're trying to bring in different people to your brand saying, I've got something similar to what you like, but it's a little different, but it's not cheaper. It's not more powerful. It's not lighter, right? It's, so it doesn't, I mean, maybe the, like the display is cooler. So it's got some more German quality, I guess, to it. Yeah. There's some really good touches here. Right. Um, I think, I think the sales pitch on this bike is, you didn't want a V-twin engine. You didn't want an American V-twin. Ah, okay. Because even if you go down the Yamaha route, that's still, still an air-cooled V-twin. V-twin. Yep, it's still a copy of a V-twin. Yeah, so the the sp- secret sauce is like the boxer motor, I guess, hanging out in the wind and that look. And I think to a certain extent, like it's some of it's like you didn't want to be in the Harley-Davidson crowd. You're not so sure about the Indian thing. Maybe you have a Ducati or a KTM or a BMW already. Like you're already a European bike. Yeah, you're a bit of a Euro rider. Maybe you have a Triumph. Yeah. So you're like, ah, this is, this is you know, cruiser, dresser, touring stuff that mm-hmm. I can do. This this looks okay. Um, I think I think it. Here's here's what I'm writing a story on right now. That'll that'll be out when this podcast comes out. There is, I I feel like every entry into what I call the American touring market Mm -hmm. is done from the perspective of the business and not the perspective of the consumer. And you just asked the consumer question. You just asked the question that I feel like every company doesn't ask themselves that, that has done this before. And that's why would I buy this as a consumer over, frankly, a Harley Davidson? I think I ask questions like that because I come from that side of it. That that side of it matters a lot to me because I am the sort of end user for the manufacturer that talks to the consumer right so i'll finish i'll finish what i was i was going down because i think it answers that question Or, or i'll start with this anecdote in the presentation to us did not start with answering your question why should someone buy this bike their presentation started with this is the American touring market and look how, look at the opportunity that is here. Right. And that's the problem that I think that every brand that has come in and trying to take a pie, a piece of pie out of Harley Davidson's Uh business is they sit there and they look at it and they're like, wow. So they're selling like 60, 80,000 units of these things worldwide, huh? And they're selling them for like 30 grand, huh? 
wow, that's ching, ching, like, okay, how much margin is that? Ching, like the accountant's just there, just churning the machine out. Like there's right. millions of millions of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions, maybe billions. I can't even do the math in my head. Let's see the margins. Like there's $10,000 worth of profit there. Let me just do the math. I can't do that many zeros in my head. Let's say it's 60,000. That is $600 million right. of profit to be had. And they so, want a piece of that. And they want a piece of that. And and that's the same thing. Like the first like four slides are them showing the different market and how it's, you know, electric glide versus rogue glide versus rogue king. And it's 73% in the US and blah, 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 blah. And and no point to say, like, well, why should why should they buy our bike instead of a Harley? Right. And I think that's that's always the miss. It's because like Honda came in the 90s, or I shouldn't even just put this on Honda, but all the Japanese manufacturers came in the 90s and they're like, Harleys are really unreliable. Let's just make a really reliable cruiser and people will buy it. Eh, wrong. Yeah, wrong answer. You thought you could build a better mousetrap, but it's not just about being a better bike. Nope. And then we see, you know, Victory come in. They're like, oh, we're going to be like the anti-Harley. We're going to be kind of more modern. We're a little bit more. Um, we're the other American brand. Yeah, like this Neo Retro. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Art Deco <laughs> kind of thing going. Like we're, we're, we're a little bit of a different jam. Okay, well, they sold about 14,000 bikes a year. Um, now we're seeing Indian come in. Well, Indian's kind of getting it right where it's like, well, we're even older than Harley-Davidson, so we can play right. the heritage card even better. <laughs> but is Indian really eating Harley-Davidson's lunch? Eh, not really. I think they're trying. We'll, we'll you know, give them some time. I'm, I won't pass too much judgment. But it's the same thing with BMW. You're just sitting here. It's like your biggest problem at the end of the day is you still have the wrong logo on your tank. Yep. And, 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 and you don't really communicate why your bike is better or why I should ride it. Like, oh, because I can become a BMW rider. Like the guys that hang out at the coffee shop, like it's not a GS. No. It's not, it's not an S like it's the same problem. The S 1000 kind of has where it's like, it's not, it's not really accepted by the BMW community. It's not good enough to, to blow the sport bike community off the market. I mean, the original S 1000 R was, but the current right. one isn't right. Um, so, to answer your question, Shaheen, like, I don't know. It's not a bad bike, though. I mean, that's the thing at the end of the day. Like, well, I should I should give some prefaces. The R18 has a known clutch issue. And we saw that with the very first of the bikes that came out. And, and the clutch slips. Oh. Not something I've experienced with a bike in my garage, but you can get on the internet and find people complaining about it mechanically the engines are identical throughout the whole family clutches gear ratios the whole shebang is the well, same even though there's vast i mean there's got to be a vast weight difference there is like a 220 pound difference between the r18 and the dresser i mean there's some significant things so my my r18 transcontinental um and several other journalists and then another journalist that was also on my bike uh we all had issues with the clutch hmm. and we were joking about it at dinner. It's like the variable catch point clutch. And it basically <laughs> like I almost I almost dropped the bike two, Most three of the times. Time it works some of the time. Yeah, I almost dropped the bike two, three times because you're going from the light and you're letting the clutch out and it's like a forever. Like oh, I had gosh. the clutch all the way out and the bike is still not catching. That's a lot of bike to not have a progressive clutch grab on. Especially when you have a broken shoulder. Yeehaw. So a little, a little dab saved me, but like I was sitting there going like, holy fuck, did I, did I forget how to ride a motorcycle? It does it a couple more times. It does in the higher gears. And you're like, 
okay, there's something wrong with this clutch. Yikes. It's not just my bike. It's several of the bikes. None of the baggers, though, interesting enough. So there's a little bit of us kind of sitting there going like, maybe there's a tipping point with the weight that this is this is a weight issue and mm-hmm. the baggers are okay and the transcontinentals aren't. Um, so I have some reservations just on that in terms of like recommending this as a motorcycle because I can only review the bike that's in front of me. That's right. We've had this discussion. We've had this discussion. Brands like hearing that, but like, listen, what do you want me to do it on good faith? Um, so like, I don't think I would recommend these bikes to anyone just for that. Let's assume that this is a first year issue and it gets resolved in the second year. I'd still give these bikes like maybe a B, B minus. Like there is a noticeable weight difference between the transcontinental and the bagger. Yeah. And it's, it's 75 pounds, but it's 75 pounds. That's like three feet off the ground. That's a lot. So the bagger is actually a lot more fun to ride. It's a lot more, it's a lot easier to ride. It handles a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, for 75 pounds, it's surprising how much that made a difference. I, I had a really hard time getting excited about the Transcontinental. I would not ride that motorcycle across the U.S. My hands, my body wouldn't take it. My hands were vibrating for two hours after the launch. I don't think it's a terribly comfortable motorcycle. There's a lot of more comfortable motorcycles out there that are better for that job. The bagger I see is more like a weekend getaway, yeah. day ride sort of thing. Yep. So it's less of an issue. But even then, I sit there and I look at, man, Street Glide's a really good bike, man. Well, uh, but you know, like it's like it's like, well, it's like Harley making an adventure bike. Well, so that's an BMW's interesting thing. Been doing that for forty years. You've touched on the other part of the story <laughs> that I'm working on, where it's it's interesting to watch these two brands riff on each other. It is really interesting. I was thinking about that, and I was watching a video, and they. I mean, they said the thing I was thinking, which is, or is this the Arian Zag video? Yeah, and yeah. They, I mean, I watched it. I was like, holy shit! They're actually saying exactly what was on my mind. Like Harley's trying to do a BMW, and BMW's trying to do a Harley. I'm really, think, I'm really mad they put that video out because I had this like idea like three, four days before that video came out, <laughs> and I started working on that story. And just because of the travel, I didn't get it out in time. So now they're they're the, first. The they interesting thing on the this, internet. This is not BMW's first effort to try to slide into the cruiser world. Everybody remembers the. R twelve hundred R twelve hundred C, the weirdest, most yeah. over engineered cruiser ever made. That was a little too weird for the cruiser world. Like you know, the cruiser world likes it simple. That's I think that's why I like the standard R eighteen hundred so much. It's such a simple looking bike. It it just is clean, beautifully made, and just is striking right off the bat. The R twelve hundred C was I remember seeing it even as a as a young Shaheen. I remember seeing that going, the fuck is this? Yeah, what are you weird. guys doing? It's a weird one. The telelever suspension up front and the weird seats and the, you know, goofy single-sided swing arm and it just, like, all the proportions were way off. It was definitely, you know, a group of German engineers trying to say, how do we make a Harley? Oh, for sure. For sure. That bike was quintessential German brand. Couldn't get out of its right. out of the way of itself no. when making a cruise. That thing was like the Pontiac Aztec of motorcycles. It really was. It just, it was, and again... Apologies to the, I don't know, however many listeners that have one of those things. It's because anytime I've met someone who has one, they're like a BMW file and this is like a piece of history for them. So I get it. I get like that aspect of it being unique and weird and cool, but it wasn't a good motorcycle. There's a reason it didn't succeed. Right. It's uh, So I made a bet with a gentleman at dinner who's a huge BMW file and we talked about, you know, Harley doing a BMW riff, BMW doing a Harley Davidson riff. Who in a year's time or a couple years time is going to have done better at it than right. the other? Give me your take on that. Harley. I think so too. I think Harley's going to do better because, well, at least in our market. I think in both markets. Well, probably you're right because they're, they are going into a segment that is steadily growing through every brand. Yeah. 
BMW, even though they are probably the largest, most notorious brand in that large adventure touring segment, they're not the monopoly in it. You have other brands that are selling a lot of motorcycles. Yeah, they're not 50% market share. I don't know if the market share is off the top of my head, but it would be at least 30. Fine. But, I mean, yeah, you sell like 40,000 GSs a year. Yeah. But also... BMW is not Harley. Har- Harley, how many brands do you know where, I, I always say this about Harley, how many brands do you know that people just tattoo the brand, the, the bar and shield somewhere in their body and they go to rallies that are hundreds, if not millions of people there hanging out together, welcome Harley riders, this, that. It's, it's like the Disney world of the motorcycling industry. So Harley smartly said, cool, let's make a motorcycle and put it in a segment that is currently growing. It may not be the best, it may not be the smartest. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's a B plus at worst. I don't know if I agree with that, but you're okay. in the realm. You're in the realm. Call, call it a B. Give it a B. Give Whatever. it a B. Give it a B. C yeah. plus. Even if it's a C plus. B plus at best. But a C, so with that pretty decent good grade I might, that my mom would have been proud of me for having. <laughs> <laughs> Bs get degrees. Bs get degrees, man. I'm fucking seeds is too, actually. Um, they're going into a segment that's growing and it's it's a thirsty segment everybody wants something right yeah i think they have a better chance at it whereas bmw has decided to yet again try their hand at the cruiser segment a segment that we constantly kind of talk about how it's sort of dying a little bit it's dying but it's still huge but it's still huge i mean you you can say that it's dying all you want but it's like it's still one hundred and fifty thousand units a year but it's not a growing segment I, I did quotation marks that nobody can see. Yeah. It's it's not. It's really not a growing segment. It is it is shrink, even though it's, it's massive. It's going to take forever to, for it to shrink for us to go. Oh wow, there's less cruisers on the road. Right. But it's not growing at the at the rate that that adventure touring is growing, where companies are investing money and they're thinking of doing lighter, smaller, more, you know, a broader range of these things because it's still a growing segment. So I think because of that, Harley's going to do better. Harley got into a smarter segment than BMW. The thing that does it for me, if you want to come in and do the American Turing segment, you want to get in this business, you have to be a Harley Davidson to do it. That's that's the barrier to entry where yeah. it's like that's 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 our pushback on this bike to some extent. I can sit here and tell you this bike is an A plus. Doesn't mean it's gonna sell because it's not a Harley Davidson. You want to be an American Turner, you basically have to be a Harley. But you want to be an adventure bike. You don't have to be a GS. You don't. We've seen that from KTM and Ducati and Triumph and Yamaha and Honda. You want to be in the ADV market? You just need to make a good ADV bike. Yeah, make a competent machine. You might not siphon off a bunch of GS owners, but you'll still sell some volume. Yeah. The ADV segment is far less emotional than the cruiser segment. It's not it's, it's a not utility insular vehicle. to a brand. It's right. insular to a function. Right. And that's that for me is the uh, the the cut there, and, I, and that's why I believe I want to win this this gentleman's agreement that we made over over nachos. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. You know, I, maybe BMW surprises us. Maybe I think the smartest thing BMW could do hire Jason Momoa to do a video with your fucking oh BMW. God. I no. would be so happy if that happens. No, come on, it'd be funny. No, he did the fucking Harley thing. Have him do the BMW no. thing and be like, when I'm done adventuring on my Harley. I saddle over this BMW and go to my favorite bar and hang with my bros and talk about Aquaman. But, but funny, funny you say that because like you think of Jason Momoa, he'd be more at home on this R18B yeah. than he would be on the Harley Davidson Pan <laughs> America. Like it doesn't like him on an adventure bike just doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. I just think it'd be funny if they could hire him and have him do that ad. I would love that so much because it's like, yes, he rides both bikes. 
I'll be I'll be curious to see where we're at with this. I think I I, I had a chance to to read some of my colleagues' reviews um, that have popped up in the last couple of days, and I, you know, like it's it's getting a lukewarm reception. Uh, it's on kind of unfortunate to see for bmw because i think they placed a lot of hope in these bikes and it, too. it wouldn't surprise me if there's another model coming down the pipe i don't can't really imagine what the next r18 the m model. derivative the, the, m, the model. m model come on guys do the right thing make 150 horsepower <sighs> version it's just i feel i feel for these other companies that keep trying to get into this thing and you you said it perfectly they're just simply trying to get a piece of that pie the problem is, is like, again, I come back to, there's no superlative here. And the problem with, I think a lot of BMW bikes is they're not superlative. Is the S1000RR the best superbike on the market? Not anymore. No. It hasn't been since it first came out. Right. And the newest model is even further away from the mark than, than the previous model. Uh, are these cruisers the best cruisers on the market? Do, do, do they do anything better than any of the other cruisers? Right. Do they have any, anything in a point? Like the, the, the Marshall Sound System, which was an interesting partnership. Huh. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's not the best stereo I've ever heard, though. Taylor Swift sound good on it. It was all right. Mm. It, it at high volumes, the bass gets modulated. There's modulation issues, but it sounds <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, this is just like there's just a lot of bikes that I said they're like eh, pretty good. Outside of the R1250 GS, it's just a lot of bikes are going. That's eh, pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. not bad. Like you, you, you want to buy uh, an F900? It's pretty good. Can't argue with that. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's not going to disappoint you. A lot of the bikes I buy, it's pretty good. Maybe BMW's thought is just make a bunch of good bikes and sell them as opposed to making a couple of amazing bikes that don't sell very much. I think that's their problem, though. I mean, I can't. They keep breaking sales records every year. So it's like, how wrong can I? Yeah. How right can I really be here? <laughs> like how much can you judge them? Yeah. Like, like I mean, how much can you really poke them in the eye? Some of that, I think, is market expansion, not necessarily market development. Did I say that right? No, market development, not product development. Um, If you told me you were going to go out and buy one, I'd be like, well, hopefully, hopefully the clutch is fixed. But be like, okay, I kind of get it. You wanted a German cruiser. There it is. You didn't. You didn't. You obviously didn't want to buy a Harley. And I can. And I can. I can. Well, that's the whole I point. Totally though, right? I guess that's. You want to tell me what the best thing they do at the end of the day? They're not a Harley. Yeah. That's re- why do you buy one? Because it's not a Harley. There's barely. There's better not Harley options. I think. I think Indian does a better job in some of these areas. Yeah, well, I mean, with Indian, you're buying, you know, old school motorcycle heritage yeah in theory in theory not a harley isn't a good enough reason it's funny because as a motorcyclist i can't hate on bm i don't have anything against bmw i actually like them i do too for as much for as much credit i don't get from from some readers about <laughs> it no because like there's like a perception that i'm a bmw hitter. i'm like i'm really not i really like bmw i think they do a lot of things really really well and really right. smart but there's this thing where like i look at these bikes and i'm just like this is very indicative of bmw's problem right now yeah, but what is their problem if they're still growing? Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where are you growing because you're taking China seriously? So you're putting dealerships in China and China's mar- bike market for big bikes is just skyrocketing right now. Which, again, still goes back to what you yeah. said. Like, they're just doing business transactions. Because like, I'll tell you this. And I actually I actually I said this to the, the marketing person. I was like. You guys are underrepresented in, in the United States for how big of a country the united states in for how many motorcycles are sold here bmw should be doing two to three times more business than they are what are you going to do to fix that how are you going to fix that and it's like well we, we built bikes like this i'm like this this bike is not going to move the needle no in sales in the united states no. there's something there's something wrong with 
BMW Motorrad North America or USA because do you feel like they're just resting on their laurels on this whole thing? Have I told you this story? This is a fun story. This is what I was going to try and tell you at the beginning of the show. I remember sitting in Auto Club Speedway like mm, five years ago Mm -hmm. down in SoCal, down in LA for a press launch with MV Augusta. And they did the same thing where they're like, the touring market in the United States is 40% of the business. <laughs> we are serious about getting into the U.S. MV goes to USA is going to grow. We're underrepresented here. We're going to, we're like, we're committed to this market. So what we're going to do is we're going to build you a touring bike. And that bike is the Trismo Veloce 800. And you're like, Touring. Oh, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I think we talked about this because there's yeah. a difference between U.S. touring and right, Euro touring, right? And it's like, I'm like, very, you're, very big. you're thinking Euro touring. We're doing American touring. You didn't understand American V twin touring is something <laughs> very, very different, totally different. And I think it's that same thing with BMW, where it's like, the, I think the Germans get European <laughs> motorcycling. I don't think they get American motorcycling, and that those things have subtle differences to each other. These and this guys, is. These guys brought a sport wagon to an SUV world. Yeah, kind of. Like it's kind of the same, but not really. And I'll give them like the R18B and the R18 and the R18 uh, Transcontinental are very, are what you would expect for American touring. Like they didn't screw that part of it up. But there's still like things where it's like, I, I sit there and I sometimes wonder, I'm like, did you ride a street glide? Did you, did you ride well, the theory they did. I mean, the theory was that they dragged, you know, like a Harley Softail Slim into the, you know, shop and were like, this is what we have to make. I wonder about that sometimes. I wonder about that with some with some brands a lot of the time. And I've seen a couple of the competitive analysis press fleets or bike fleets for for brands. Mm-hmm. And I remember one in particular. This is this is an American brand. I won't say who. And you looked at their bikes, and the bikes from their competitors were so poorly kept that I was like, well, of course you think your bike's better. This bike's like chain is completely rusted yeah, and about to fall off. And this is all like beat up to shit. Like, of course you think like this, you're not comparing apples to apples. So I wonder sometimes about how like brands do like their competitive analysis and, and, and see their competitors. But like, you can't legitimately look me in the eye and be like, we rode the shit out of a street glide. We <laughs> built a better street glide. <laughs> right. You know, cause you didn't, there's just, you, you didn't One, you didn't build a better bike. And two, like, I don't know how you, how you how did you do you, have you tried filling up the gas tank of an r18 you okay what is it you've said that twice now what does it do so the the frame it's a backbone frame okay that that means there's a tube that goes down the center of the bike mm-hmm. that's literally like a backbone of the bike everything's built kind of off of it and then there's a an underbelly frame uh that holds the the cradles cradles the engine, the engine right so that backbone is directly underneath where the the fuel cap is wait they the didn't put the fuel tank. cap to the side it's not on the side it's so dead, just getting sprayed every time you fill it up dead center so the way you make a motorcycle tank especially like on a cruiser is you kind of it like drapes over the backbone right so you kind of have like two sides of a tank and that's why you see a lot of times sometimes they have two fuel caps because they're mm-hmm. actually two separate tanks mm-hmm. more modern construction with injection molding and stuff modern machinery it can make that one tank and maybe you have a fuel cap on the side or not but the gap between the very, very top of the fuel tank and the bottom of the fuel tank where it touches the backbone is maybe an inch. Shit. So when you go to put the nozzle 
of a gas. It's just hitting a thing immediately. You just, you just immediately hit the bottom of the tank and you've only put like an inch of the of the nozzle in. So when you go to fill it, just gas spray just back. sprays everywhere. Oh, and if God. you're like in California or some of these other states that have the air vapor retrieval thing and you're holding that, like it just... You have to a, juggle that thing. It is totally fucked. Oh, boy. And it's one of the things like, did you ever go to a gas station? Because like a lot of these places, like when they're doing the testing, they're out in the remote locations. So they just have a fuel cell with one of those hand crank pumps. Right, right. So it's like one of those things where it's like you don't realize in your process that like because you're using a hand crank pump to fill your gas tank, maybe you've never filled it with a gas station <laughs> gas pump because I just can't believe that that's the case. Jesus. I'm not saying that, that's the case, but if you told me it, it was feels like it, I 100% believe it. like, but that's the other thing Like you sit there and I, I want to look in BMW engineer in the eye and be like, don't tell me you think that fuel tank design works, no. that that's a good idea because it's not, it's just not. <laughs> so there's stuff, stuff like that. Where you're just like, is the bike downstairs the same way? That's what I'm saying. The bike downstairs, this is the problem. Oh, okay. It's a little different with the the R18B and Transcontinental because they made the tank a little taller. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so that's the thing. All these bikes were, were developed around the same time. So they were able to learn some of the lessons from the R18, mm-hmm. but a lot of it's like like the clutch. Like A lot of it's like, nope, that whole motor was developed at the same time. Like the brakes, Like I, I have to believe like the, the mid-model refresh that we'll get in two, three years will have bigger brakes and better brakes. I'm sure. Because like it's just it's so glaring how bad the brakes are. It's just weird things. It's just weird little things. You're just like, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> why are you like this? I think getting the design right goes a long way, in my opinion, because that's the hardest part. Right. I still think BMW is screwing up the easiest stuff, which is just making a motorcycle. And that's the disconnect. Like you did the hard part really well, and somehow you're screwing up the easy part that you should be really good at. And once they figure that out, like I, I truthfully think like the next iteration of this motorcycle is going to be really good because they'll have figured out all the bugs and ironed out all the kinks. And then you'll have a good motorcycle mated with a beautiful looking motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And that could really do something. Then you can start saying like superlatively, like what does this do better than a Harley? Well, it looks it looks really good. It looks maybe better than a Harley and it, and it functions kind of better than a Harley. And it's got some technology stuff that Harley doesn't have. And that dash is really cool. And they got rid of the power reserve gauge and put in a clock that looks really nice. And, <laughs> you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the windscreens, like another one, like like the windscreen. You can't look at me as, as a test ride engineer and tell me that windscreen was a good idea. It, the cutoff height, like where it ends, Just is right in your eye sight. line. Yeah. And like the tall, the tall screen, there's too much buffeting and it, you just sit there like this is a shitty windscreen hmm. on a touring bike like that's a surprisingly important thing on a on a touring motorcycle is a windscreen you know because you want to go touring on yeah it. and like you can interchange the the windscreens between the bagger and the dresser and there's a uh, a taller screen available that maybe is good um but yeah i don't know man it's hard for me to get excited about it i i was let down at the end of that press launch I kind of had that gist about it from you initially, and I, you know, my first thought as well is because Jensen doesn't like baggers. But I mean, everything you're saying is sort of a legitimate thing. It sounds like you've been doing a little bit of, you know, real honest kind of thought about this thing. It's not just about a dislike of baggers. I will admit this is a tough bike for me to get excited about just on the merits. Like you're going to take me to a street glide press launch? What? Yeah. Roadmaster? What? <laughs> um. So I approach it as a motorcyclist, like just what does it do well? What is like, do I have a visceral connection with this? Like, I like riding motorcycles. Mm-hmm. I can evaluate it from that. Um, the comparison to, to other to Harley and Indian, though, is easy to make. 
I think, I think if you're in the market, go give it a test ride. Go see what it's all about. BMW let you test ride that. Harley will let you test ride theirs. And anyone let, let you test ride theirs. And I think you'll see for yourselves like where it comes down. I, the, the thing that's interesting to me is starting to see the consensus from my colleagues where it's not just Jensen sport biking, loving heart, hating on baggers. It's like, no, everyone seems to kind of have the same, same opinion here. Um, the thing that would have gotten me, here's, here's the, here's an easy spot where BMW could have really set themselves apart. If they, if they had made two bikes that were under 800 pounds. Yep. You know, high, high engineering company, high technology company. They're, they're rich in, you know, 3d printed metals and and composites and all this stuff. They have a lot of technical know-how. You could have brought that to this space and built a sub I mean, like they barely built a sub 900 pound bagger, but you could have built a sub 900 pound dresser and a sub 800 pound bagger. And that would have been exciting where it's like, oh, 100 pounds lighter than the competition. That's yeah. Why would I buy that? Over, why would I buy a BMW over the Harley Davidson machine? Because it's 100 pounds yeah, lighter. It's more efficient. It's more efficient. It's more high technology. It's 100 pounds lighter. It's a better frame design. They're actually using, you know, 21st century uh, metals and and composites and design and technology rather than this like 17th century bullshit we've been stuck with. Right. Um, that's what they could have done and still kept the aesthetic and still kept the look and they didn't do it. And, you know, it's like funny, like one of my colleagues got really, really up in the BMW guys grilled in the presentation. Like, why is this bike so heavy? Why is like why is this bike so heavy? And the answer is the motor's two hundred and forty four pounds. But it's even then, it's like why is the motor two hundred and forty four pounds? Like I get that it's a ginormous air cooled motor, but like you can't you can't find some ways to make it lighter. Why does it? I feel like they did that on purpose because I mean BMW as a company, even as a car company, is going out of their way to make things more efficient and lighter and better, and you know get more power out of smaller motors. So this is nothing new to them. I, I feel like their prerogative was like no no, American cruiser touring cruisers are big heavy lazy machines we're going to make a big heavy lazy machine to kind of have that thing because the question of why is it so heavy is a legitimate question i can't think of any reasoning behind an engineer going oh because we found if we make the engine 244 pounds instead of 200 pounds uh it you know kept heat better right you know it's it's one of those things where like I don't know what the thought process is there. Like, like it's going to have to weigh something, right? Like, I, I don't, I'm not saying you're like, why isn't it 400 pounds? Right. It's going to weigh, <laughs> it's going to weigh something. Uh, and one of the things that I like about the bike is like the body panels are metal. It feels really good. Like, yeah. you know, there's that, that has that a cost. If yeah. you got, if you got steel body panels, aluminum body panels, they're going to be heavier than plastic. Sure. But I would come back and say like, look at a gold wing. Honda was able to take a hundred pounds out of the gold wing. Mm-hmm. Why can't you do that with a cruiser market? If you've done that with a cruiser market, I'd be way more excited because there's your superlative. There's your reason for buying it. Harley Davidson is still an uh, 18th century. I'm giving, we're going up centuries each time, right? <laughs> but I mean, like it's a motorcycle that was built off of a 1950s. Like it hasn't changed much from its 1950, 1940s origin. And that's part of the, the criticism. So here you are. We built a 21st century cruiser. Still looks like a cruiser. Still handles like a cruiser. Does cruiser things. But it's efficient. But look how much smarter we are than right. these cave guys over here. Still waiting for that hybrid cruiser, man. The BMW could have done that. That'd be neat. That'd be interesting. Super interesting. I don't hybrid drive on it. I think. I don't think the American touring market 
is ever going to have a hybrid. And like, like I can't imagine Harley Davidson making a hybrid. <laughs> Honda, I feel like, missed the boat not putting a hybrid in the Goldwing. Because they looked at it and they're like, eh, it's okay. Maybe the next gen. Next generation. Or if BMW was like K1600. Yeah, we put a little mm-hmm. we put a little super capacitor in there. Put a little mammer jammer. Why would I? You want to get me off a Goldwing and on a K1600? Because I'll take a Goldwing over a K1600. Any oh, day. God, yeah. Uh, that's not the case if your name is Ronnie Scabrook. <laughs> <laughs> he like he likes him some K sixteen hundred, but like you want to you want to make me a converter in that space. Oh, hybrid hybrid K sixteen hundred with like a push to pass and like some like a like a performance hybrid, not just like a total round hybrid, like a fucking. But like you can also ride around town silently if yeah. you wanted to. I get on board with that. That would be hot. Again, got to make it like you know sub eight hundred pounds or whatever it is. But I can get excited. That's just not the name of the game in that category, Jensen. Uh, it is with the Goldwing. What's it? Let me before I get like like teetotaling <laughs> Honda too hard. How, what's a Goldwing weighing at? Oh, it's been too long. Goldwing Tour specifications. It's I want to see off the top of my head. It's like eight hundred pounds ish, give or take ten pounds. Let's see. Seven eighty seven. Suck a dick. Damn. Suck a dick. Seven eight hundred. So what, what's a K sixteen hundred nowadays? K sixteen hundred is like eight. 58 it's like almost nine i feel it's like thick. unlatered rate wait right 772 i was way off all right samsonite you gotta take some shit back bmw dear bmw okay we're sorry yeah 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 it's pretty good it's pretty good i'll give him i'll give him some credit there still still taking my gold wing though <laughs> but i just like that gold wing it just it just rides better you love that gold wing K1600 Grand America. What's that? Way? That's crazy. Well, it's called the Grand America. Well, that's the thing I love. Like, Grand America, like, what about this is Grand America? Other than, like, you're going after the gold wing. 802. That's about the same weight. Seven gallon tank, like that. I think it just feels heavier because the weight's up higher. It is. It is a little bit higher. That, that flat six motor gets to sit nice and low. Yeah, that, that's a huge part of it. Like when I was on the K1600, I really thought I was going to tip right over in traffic. Yeah. Um, whereas the Goldwing was definitely lower, lower slung. Um, somehow we've turned this into like almost another show on its own. <laughs> so we should just <laughs> probably just, get just out of it. Just go home, man. Oh, wait, I'm going to go home, man. You got to go home. Uh, I'm going to try and edit this down into something coherent, but um. Thank you to our listeners for listening. Thanks for listening to us, <laughs> y'all. It's a it's 10 p.m. I'm gonna edit this on the plane tomorrow. Jensen's gonna hop on a plane tomorrow. I'm gonna go to work, do things and stuff. Do things and stuff. And uh, as usual, y'all. Hey, we didn't do this on the last thing because this is the end now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, you gotta do this. Yeah, I gotta do the thing. You gotta do the thing. Do your work. You, you gotta follow us on, on uh, Twitter at at We Brap Talk and on Instagram at at, at Brap Talk and send us emails. Seriously, if you have one of those Yamahas, I want to see a picture of it. I, I would love to see that. Like, but I need a proof of life. I want a newspaper oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah, front yeah, of yeah. it. Like, I need dates. I don't want just people googling, nope, nope. googling that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we wrap talk at gmail.com. Send me some good dad jokes. I really enjoy when people do that. Also, actually, um, send us some Q and A's. Oh yeah. Well, Dude. you don't send us the Q and A's. You send us the Q's. We give you the A's. So send or us some, send us the A's. We'll do the Q's. Whoa. Send us the answers and we're going to give you the wrong questions only. <laughs> we're going to make this as confusing as possible. The answer is uh, in line four, uh, Harley Davidson. Is a, what is a Harley Davidson? That's the question.
That's how we're going to do it. Worst gonna, vibrator you ever bought your girlfriend? <laughs> the, a BMW X1000R. <laughs> <laughs> it's not supposed to hurt, no, no, honey. No. Honestly, these R18s would give that thing a run for its money. Really? Oh, my God. Wow. Because, because where the XR, like where it gets kind of shitty, like its shittiest point, I feel, is kind of what the R18's like middle point is. Dang. And then you get past 4,000 RPMs, and man, I think that bike's just going to fall I've apart. I've always thought the S1000XR is the vibiest bike, is, and not, and not in a fun way. Like it hurts. Vibe. That's the thing. I want to like the S1000XR. I like the way it looks. I like the idea. The yeah. motor's really great. It's just like so vibey. You sit there and like, did you did you test ride this with someone that has feelings? <laughs> it's like one of those like clown handshake things that hurts your hands. Yeah, you know what I'm about? it just uh, it's just not nice. We get riled up now for a nice bike. What, you know what, what grinds my gears? A motorcycle that vibes too much. Read read the website. Sign up for Anr Pro. Oh yeah, do do we have any Anr Pros you want to shout out at? No one. No one wants shout outs. Nobody knows. Makes me sad. The Anr Pros I see. <laughs> anyways uh on that note quick shout out to pirelli and their new diablo rosso 4 sport bike tire for sponsoring this episode many thanks to them make good choices safety third and uh you know ride fast don't die good talk see you out there bye bye the yamaha eluder which no one has ever seen on the road before. But that's an actual motorcycle? You've never seen that in real life. I thought it was like a You've royal something or another, royal star. Never seen that in real life. Wow. <laughs> that is not a bike but that sells But this made up well. motorcycle is the heaviest <laughs> yeah. one. I remember when they came out and it's got like literally like 15 angle, fifteen degrees of lean angle clearance. It's a joke. It's a joke of a bike. Okay. All right. Uh, apologies to the two listeners that probably have one of these. Uh, listen, if we have any listeners that have that, please... Uh, we brap talk at gmail.com. I want to see this thing because I actually have never seen one. Yeah, the eluder and the venture. The eluder is the bagger. The venture is the dresser. Um yeah, they're big, they're they're big bikes.